morning. Let's see if we can get everything working here. All right. Well, it's good to be back. You may have heard me. You may have even seen him, our little guy named Sherlock. And I'm, I think I've told some of you that the reason... There we go. Yeah, I think I'm live now. The reason we brought Sherlock is because normally Blessing, our daughter, uh, takes care of him, lets him out after church. Well, there and when, her and her husband, uh, with, with uh, his family. So, just a little bit too much. Uh, I don't know whether it's some feedback or something. All right. Can't believe we're in week three already. Now, there may be a Sunday sometime between now and the next month and a half that I will have to be away and we'll talk about when that might be um, and uh, if I do we will just extend one more week so we still get the eight weeks or so but uh, we we're talking about maybe going up to Cape Girardeau to some family up there and taking Blessing and Dennis so we'll see what happens also we need to talk, I cannot remember your name. Michelle. Michelle. I'll get, I think by week eight, I'll get the names down. <laughs> uh, sometime, maybe next week, a uh, few minutes after we get done with our meeting, you and I need to talk about the um, call to prayer service type thing, a solemn assembly, and um, yeah, I've got some information on that. And, how, and we plan that. So just getting broad outlines so you can be thinking about what we might do that day and how we can encourage people to come because uh, that is a very special service in this whole process. All right, we began week one talking about a theme of seeking God's direction. And uh, we talked mainly from the Jesus' very special prayer in the Gospel of John and uh, John 17 and how he prayed for the disciples and vicariously he was praying for us even though it was 2,000 years before, before us, uh, he was still praying for us. He prayed for our protection. He prayed for our unity. He prayed for our joy. He prayed for our purity and we talked about how he prayed for our purpose. Then last week, our theme was finding God's purpose. And it was sort of a different type, almost a negative sermon in the sense of the title is How to Miss the Joy of Mission. And we have too many churches across our Southern Baptist Convention that are missing the joy of the mission. You say, well, Brother Mike, how can you say that? Look at our baptism numbers for the last 20-some years. Uh, that curve has been going down and down and down, not just here in West Helena, not just here in uh, uh, the Delta, not just here in Arkansas, not just here in America, but around the world. Our, our, our baptisms have been going down. Now, we, have, we see some good things happening internationally. Our international board is doing some good things, but we're just not reaching people at the pace we need to even to keep up with uh, population growth. 
So how to miss the joy of the mission? We had Luke 15, where the older brother just did not want to be a part of the party of welcoming the younger brother back, who had gone off and squandered everything. They thought he was dead. He that was dead is now alive. And in the parable of the lost son, the older brother missed the mission. He misunderstood the priority. He refused to participate in the party. He inflated his position, and he forgot the father's provision. So today our theme is not missing the joy of the mission, but talking about what is the mission of the church. We're in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. familiar passage, a familiar setting, as we, we, we talk about what they had seen Jesus being able to raise the dead, be able to heal those that were sick, all those things, a part of it. Now we come to the end of that chapter. And we're going to focus on just the last few verses, but I'm going to start reading back up in verse 27 so we have a little bit of the context of this. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. When he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. He touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows of it. But when they departed, they spread the news about him in all the country. And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees says, He cast out demon by the ruler of the demons. And then verse 35 and following is our focus today. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage, we're amazed at what you could do, casting out demons, healing the blind, touching the sick, raising the dead. Lord, you were able to do so many things. But now, Lord, you tell us to pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. Lord, may we be willing to go into your harvest field. May we be those laborers that go out. As we pray for laborers, Lord, let it be us. Before we send anybody else, let it be us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you say that our farmers are tremendously important to us? Anybody here go to a grocery store? Huh? Or maybe you have it delivered? 
And that's becoming the trend now. And maybe, you know, you just because of COVID or because of not having a car or because of health, sometimes we have the groceries delivered. We've never done that, but I, you know, I know that it can be done. <laughs> or maybe we have a family member who will go get them and bring them to us. Oh, there you go. We're about to try that. Maybe we get blessing to no. <laughs> But, you know, God needs workers in this field. We, when the church we're members of that I rarely get to go to, there is a farming family there. And I asked uh, Daryl Brady one time, I said, now, just how much do you farm? And I think he said it was thousands of acres. Some of it he owns, some of it he, rent. he rents. But it's just thousands of acres. Now, he has his boys, but he also has a lot of other guys that work for him. Now, Daryl's health is getting to the point where he can barely get up and out of the tractor. He tries to, but, you know, he just, he, he's up there in years and just can't. And so the boys have to keep an eye on him. He even brings in help from South Africa some years. But that field is not going to plant itself, will it? Now, you can be a good farmer and you can go down to the seed store and you can buy all the seed, right? You can go over to the John Deere dealer and buy the most expensive tractor and equipment and planters. And, and disc and all that kind of stuff. Even spend the money and go buy a combine. You see the prices of this stuff? You can buy all that stuff. It still won't plant itself. You got to go plant it. Somebody's got to run the tractor. Somebody's got to disc the field. Somebody's got to get it ready. Somebody's got to plant it. Somebody's got to water it. Somebody's got to fertilize it. Somebody's got to hire the, the planes to come do the, what I call the aerial assault, you know. Uh, we had one plane go down this week, up near Colt. Uh, a plane went down. It was a crop duster. So, you know, all that is important. So, if the laborers are important in a farmer's field, why do we not think they're important for church? Who's going to plant the seed unless somebody goes and plants it? Who's going to tell them about Jesus unless somebody does? Laborers are desperately needed. But why do we not have laborers into the harvest field? This is where the preacher starts meddling sometimes. Sometimes people just won't go. Yeah, you can say amen because that's the reality. Sometimes people just won't go. Amen? Sometimes people believe they can't. Now, it's interesting. Those same people who say they can't won't have any problem talking to you about the price of gas, won't have any problem talking to you about the price of groceries, whether they have it delivered or not. They won't have any problem talking to you about the war over in Ukraine or just pick a topic. They won't have problems talking about that. But when the preacher says we need to go and tell people about Jesus, I can't do that. I just don't know how. My, you know, well, we'd be like Aaron and Moses. Moses tried to tell the Lord, Lord, I can't go uh, deliver your people out of Egypt. I can't speak that well. He said, that's all right. I've got Aaron. Aaron will be your speaker. Lord wouldn't call us to do something if he hasn't already equipped us to do it. We have the ability. It's just a matter of will we. So some people won't go. Some people believe they can't. Some people just put it off. 
you know, next week I will. I'm, I'm kind of busy this week, you know. I've got to sit and watch my crops grow or whatever. Some people are more concerned about the details versus the lost. We're so worried we might say the wrong thing that we lose track of the fact they need to hear the good news, the simple truth of the gospel. Dr. Ryrie, great writer, written many books, he says the outline of chapter 9 is this. In verses 1 through 8, where he heals the paralytic, it's the pardon of the paralytic. In verses 9 through, 10, 9 through 13, where he deals with the publican, he pardons the publican. In verses 14 through 17, they have problems with what it means to fast, and so should we fast, and when should we fast, worried about all the details, and he deals with that. In verses 18 to 26, he has power over death. In verses 27 to 31, there's power over darkness. And in part of those that I just read, in verses 32 to 34, he has power over dumbness. And what they mean by dumbness is that the guy can't hear, therefore he can't speak. And I'm always amazed at some deaf people who have mastered, even though they can't hear their own voice, uh, being still able to speak. And then verse 35, there's power over disease. Then verses 35 to 38, he has pity on the people because he sees them as sheep without a shepherd and his heart is moved, as it says in Luke. Pity over disease, pity of the people. So as we look at this passage, every Christ follower needs to strive to tell others about Jesus. Chuck Lawless is an evangelism professor at Southeastern Baptist Seminary. I love to read. He is a prolific writer, and he is very active on social media, and I will post some of his postings, repost those. Chuck says, nine traits of the most evangelistic people I know are this. Number one, they genuinely love the Lord with a passion. They genuinely love the Lord with a passion. I have to ask you, anybody here have grandkids? Do you keep it a secret? You mean you go and tell people about your grandkids? I have dozens, maybe hundreds of pictures on my phone and my iPad right now because my grandkids, the ones who call us grandma and grandpa, have been touring the Badlands and uh, Mount Rushmore and all those places, Oklahoma and all the, and they keep posting all these pictures to a very limited group, which is the grandparents. Um, you know, they're not on Facebook or anything like that. It's just a private group. They're, they're very excited about what the kids are doing and they want the grandparents to know about what the kids are doing. Why? Do we tell everybody about our grandkids? Because we love them, right? And we think they're the greatest, cutest, beautiful, most beautiful, most talented, smartest grandkids around. Nobody has grandkids compared to us. Amen? Does anybody have a Savior that compares to the Lord Jesus? 
So if we love him with a passion, we're going to tell people about him. The number one trait of evangelistic people. The, number, the second trait of evangelistic people, they believe what the Bible says about lostness. They believe that people without Jesus are dying and going to hell, and they believe it with a passion. The third one, they pray regularly for non-believers and for the opportunities to evangelize. They pray regularly for those that don't know the Lord. Two things are assumed in that. One, do you know somebody who doesn't know the Lord? Maybe you see them at the bank. Maybe you see them at the grocery store. Maybe you see them at the gas station. Maybe they're in your family. Whatever. But you see them. You know they don't know the Lord. The trait of an evangelistic person is they pray for that person. Maybe just a short prayer. Pray for them by name. In your quiet time, you pray for that person. I have certain people I pray for. And not only do we pray for them, but Lord, we say, Lord, give me an opportunity to tell someone about him, about Jesus. Fourth trait, they constantly look for open doors to talk about Jesus. Fifth one, even if they're introverted, even if they're, you know, I'm not real good about going out. I'm not very outgoing. I kind of keep to myself. Even if they're introverted, they push past their discomfort to tell the good news. Number six. By the way, uh, I, I tend to personally kind of want to be quiet, but yet we'll go to the grocery store. We were at Walmart the other day, and she all come back over to where I was. She goes, how in the world did you start a conversation with that guy? <laughs> and we were talking about gas prices. We were talking about Michigan. We were talking about all kinds of stuff, you know. And we didn't have a long enough conversation to maybe talk to him about the Lord. But just, you have to have those things. You have to step outside your comfort zone and just talk talking to people. And you never know what opportunities that the Lord may open up just by talking to people. Number six, they're not worried about getting glory for being a strong evangelist. Number seven, they may have many tools in their toolbox, but they usually have one preferred method to evangelize. Number eight, they know the word well. How do they know it well? No, they haven't been to seminary. No, they haven't been to Bible school. They just read it. They just read it. Daily in the word. And as you do that, you build up an inventory, a wealth of experience with the word of God. You may not remember chapter and verse. You may not be able to turn to it just like that. But you remember that the Lord said this, or the Lord said that. And number nine, they have a heart for the nations. I'd make it a little more personal. They have a heart for the people. Do these characteristics describe your life? Do they describe my life? People that have more time than I do 
do research. And the statistics say, no. 95% of Christians have never won anybody to Christ. Let that sink in. 95% of Christians have never won anybody to the Lord. You wonder why our baptisms are going down year after year after year? 80% of Christians say they don't regularly, consistently witness about Christ. Why is that? Why are the work why are the workers few? One, it takes comp- comprehension. Jesus didn't casually glance at the crowds. He saw them. It doesn't take the mind of Christ to be able to see into the heart and mind of somebody else and tell when they're hurting. When you know somebody, you know when they're hurting. When you see a crowd, you see people there, and you look around, you can tell who's hurting. You can tell who's troubled. You can tell who kind of laying back because they just don't want anybody to talk to them. It takes that being able to see. Uh, there's a song, and I can't remember the name of it. I can't remember all the words. But it talks about the fact that give me eyes to see as you see, Lord. Give me those eyes. Jesus was moved with compassion. When he saw them. That word compassion, it literally meant it tore him up gut level. You've heard of a gut-wrenching experience. It just hits you like a ton of bricks. That's what he means by he was moved with compassion. His, got him in his bowels, in his kidneys. It just tore him up inside. Because Jesus knew the fields are white under harvest. We were driving down here. We passed some of the rice fields. And my wife says, you know, it won't be long. Starting to see not just green in there, but a little hint, maybe a yellow green. There's just a beginning of the turn. The corn stalks are beginning a little brown from the bottom up. You know, they're, they're getting ready. Uh, it won't be too much longer. We'll be in August and... Party time is over. These guys have got to get busy harvesting. The crops are needed. So the fields are white into harvest. The time is now. So how do we take where we're at and get to the point we can be like Jesus and tell others about him? Uh, Turn your eyes upon Jesus now. We need to do that. When we do that, we're going to realize he's going to send us. People need the Lord. You know, Michelle, you had perfect songs today to go along with the message. I wonder how that happened. You know. So we go. We go with sent steps. Notice what it says there. The first few words of verse 35 Then Jesus sat back and just watched everything happen. No. 
Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages. He went. He went with sent steps. His father had sent him. This passage in 9.35 very closely resembles Matthew 4.23, which says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. He went. When he went, he went to do something. He went with sent steps. He was busy. He was going from here to there. He was hither and yon. He went everywhere. And he touched the needs. And he healed people. And he delivered people. And he witnessed to people. And he told them about the good news of the kingdom. He commanded his followers in verses 19 and 20 of Matthew chapter 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That means he's with us today. That means if we leave here and we decide to go somewhere and we decide to tell somebody about Jesus, he's with us. And we think that that word, go therefore, those words, we often think of it as a command. But it's not a command because the word go is qualified by the word therefore, which means the literal meaning of what that is in the beginning of that passage is as you are going. Jesus assumed that everybody he talked to, everybody that reads his word, we're going somewhere. You don't believe it? Just get out on the road. You know, I've said this for years. I go to the store during the day, maybe 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and the parking lots are full. Even when unemployment is high, the parking lots are full. People are going. They're out on the highway, and I'm, I'm telling Cheryl, don't people work? You would think during the day people would have to work. How do we get that many people in the store and still get everything else done? But people are going everywhere. So as we go, that passage is saying, make disciples of all nations. And the word nations is not geopolitical things like France, England, Germany. It's talking about people groups. The word is ethne. It is people groups, people of all groups, whether they be black, whether they be brown, people of color, as we say nowadays. It doesn't matter. Everybody needs the Lord. So he said, as you're going, when you meet people, tell them about Jesus. And he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'll be with you always. We learn this great commission early in our walk with the Lord, but do we really live it? Is it fair to say that most Christians have never knowingly brought someone to faith? In his book, Every Believer is a Ministry, Dr. Rex Edwards graphically 
paints a pathetic picture of far too many Christians today. We sing their songs so many times. Onward, Christian soldier. You know that song, right? You probably could sing it without the book. You know, if he brought up the music, we could sing it right now, and probably most of it could sing it without the book because we, we, we know it. But yet, as we think about onward, Christian soldier, and we love to sing that, we sing that sitting back and waiting to be drafted into his service. We sing that not as soldiers on the front line who have come to worship and to get the, worship the Lord, but also have the Lord re-energize us as we go back out into the battle for the next week. No, we come and we sing that as non-soldiers sitting back and saying, yeah, we've got to pray for those soldiers. In the meantime, the Lord's calling us to be soldiers. We're waiting to be drafted into his service. We sing, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. But we don't use our tongues to tell people about Jesus. We sing the song, serve the Lord with gladness. Yet if someone comes along and taps us on the shoulder and says, we need you to help in Sunday school or VBS, I can't do that. I can't do that. But you just sang about serve the Lord with gladness. So we go with sent steps. We go with wise words. Jesus taught and proclaimed as he went. Bill Bright says the only failure in witnessing is the failure to go. Uh, when, I, when I would teach evangelism classes when I was a pastor or even as a missionary, I would tell everyone, I would ask the question, what makes a successful visit? And usually somebody will raise their hand and say, when we lead somebody to Jesus. And I said, yeah, that is true. That, that is the most successful visit. But you know what makes a successful visit? That we went. Where in the Bible does it tell us that we're to save them? Who does the saving? He does. Who does the telling? We do. If we go and tell, we have been successful in the mission that God has told us to do. Our job is to go and tell. His job is to save. Population of the United States is 330 million and growing. By the thousands are crossing in the border every, <laughs> in Texas and Arizona, Amen. So it's at least 330 million and growing every day. Think about this. Evangelical Protestant churches make up 25.4%. Mainline Protestant churches make up 14.7%. Historically black Protestant churches, 6.5%. Catholic, 20.8%. Catholic is not the largest denomination in the country, by the way. Orthodox Christian, 0.5%. Other Christian, 0.4%. Mormon, 1.6%. Jehovah Witnesses, 3.1%. We passed a Jehovah Witness Kingdom Hall on the way here. Atheist, how many would you think? How many atheists are there? 8 to 10%. 8 to 10%? 3.1%. 
That's all. It's tough to be an atheist. Because to be an atheist, you've got to explain how this all got here without a God. Well, that's a different, that's a different sermon. <laughs> You're right, that is a different sermon. Now, an agnostic. That's 4%. You say, what's the difference between an atheist and an agnostic? Atheist doesn't acknowledge there is a God. An agnostic is not sure. The, you know, the, the agnostics will acknowledge that, but I'm not sure I believe, you know, it, it, there's their... 15.8% nothing in particular. They're not atheists. They're not agnostics. They're not Baptist. They're not Catholic. They're just nothing in particular. 15.8. And then there's about 0.6% that just don't know. Now, where do I get these numbers? Lifeway Research. And that's all they do is research. The only failure in witnessing is the failure to witness. Among Protestant churchgoers in this past six months, how many times have you shared with someone to become a Christian? Over half said none. 24% said one to two. 12% said three to five. 5% said six to ten times. 1% said 11 to 15. 3% said 16 or more. What's the largest religious group in America? For the first time in more than 30 years, it's not Catholics or evangelicals. Evangelicals and Catholics make up less than a quarter of the American population. While each of these groups statistically are tied, uh, for the past 10 years, evangelicals have constantly ranged from 22 to 24. In 2018, the uh, General Society survey found that evangelicals make up 22% of the population, a drop of 1.5% from 2016. One of the fastest growing groups in the country is Islam. Now, there is a huge difference between Islam and uh, the black Muslim movement of Farrakhan. Not just just politically. How they treat the beliefs of Islam is radically different. And by the way, for those that would want to tell you that we all worship the same God, we just have different ways the God of Islam is totally different than our God. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about that, but that is true. So what makes for a successful witnessing effort? That you went. We have the best message. We have the gospel, the good news. We have hope. We have forgiveness. We have eternal life. Islam does not have that. Jehovah Witness does not have that. Mormon does not have that. Every other religious group can take you to the grave of their founder. We can take you to an empty tomb. Nobody else can. We go with healing hands. We go with the good news of the gospel. We go with healing hands. Jesus touched people at their point of need. 
his public ministry focused on three particular areas. One was uh, teaching, the other was proclaiming, and the third was healing. You say, well, I can teach, I can proclaim, but I can't heal. You can pray. Jesus, uh, Peter and James said uh, that I don't have any of that, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. We can heal in Jesus' name. And I'm not talking about a healing service. You know, I'm not talking about you know, the, 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 the TV evangelist who does that. You know, I'm not talking about that. But we can go with healing hands because we can bring hope to the hopeless. We can bring forgiveness to those who are struggling with forgiveness. And most of all, we can bring eternal life through the good news of the gospel. We go with heavy hearts. Jesus had deep, deep compassion. Uh, I close with this story. In a small church on the East Coast, following a message uh, uh, on evangelism, a man came to the pastor and told him this story. He said the man lived in Nazi Germany during the Holocaust. He always considered himself a Christian, but like most Germans, he and his family had heard the stories of what was happening at Auschwitz and what was happening in the other uh, concentration camps. A railroad track was behind the church that he attended, and each Sunday morning they could hear the whistle in the distance and then the wheels of the train coming over the tracks. They could hear the moans and the cries from the cars in that train. They became aware that the trains were passing were filled with Jews being taken to the concentration camps. Week after week, they would hear the whistle blow. The man said the dreaded sound of those wheels because they knew what was happening. They knew where they were going. They knew what would be the fate of those in the train. He said they knew the train would come, and when the whistle would blow, they would begin to sing hymns. And they said by the time the train would pass the church, the congregation would be singing at the top of their lungs and praising the Lord. Not because they wanted to praise the Lord, but they thought if they kept singing louder and louder, they wouldn't hear the trains going by. The man told the pastor, years had passed by and no one talks much about the Holocaust anymore. But in his mind, he can still hear the cries. His last statement to the pastor was, we called ourselves Christians and we did nothing. And that burdened him to no end. I wonder if one of the songs that they sang was Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying. Folks, people are driving by every day here. And in their heart, they're crying. In their heart, they're moaning. Because they're living lives without the hope of Jesus Christ, without the hope of eternal life, without the hope of a better way. Let's stand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Dear Father, we thank you. Thank you that we have our Lord and Savior who was moved with compassion because he saw the people as sheep without a shepherd. Let us not be like those who heard the moans and cries coming from the trains going by the church and all they did was sing louder so they wouldn't hear them. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the hurt that we see every day that we might go and tell someone the good news of knowing you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.